0: And next, the final part of six diaries of separation, where we get an insight into the world of six people cocooning in early 2020 through their diaries. introduced I was working in Dublin for St Vincent de Paul so I had to go into my office every day when I was cycling around Dublin I just thought I would love to know how what are they doing up there in those houses and what are they thinking and how are they feeling so I put a small ad in the back of the Irish Times that said if you are cocooning and interested in participating in a documentary, please phone. And my phone number was there. And yeah, some people were curious and I told them about the project. You know, I I just said that I had a sense that their voices weren't being heard and they didn't have an opportunity to tell Ireland how they were getting on. So this is the opportunity. And they said, okay, well send me a dictaphone. We had such limited correspondence. They rang me, they responded to the ad and rang me. I had a phone conversation with each of them. And then this dictaphone arrived and they just spoke so openly and honestly and candidly. I think I felt um, privileged to be trusted with um, these people's lives and how they were feeling about things.
1: Testing to see can I work it. Testing, testing. I wonder who thought up the word cocooning to describe the incarceration of the over-seventies in their homes. A lovely word. When we first heard it, we imagined ourselves turning into lovely butterflies when finally we could fly out to the world again. Little did we know that it would be a long, long few months.
2: I just miss the life that I had. I just miss it. And um, that's, that's well, there's nothing I can do about it. And it, it seems to be getting worse. It seems to be, I don't think we'll have anything this year. There'll be it'll be January or February before. I mean, there's any going back to. To what we had, I don't know. They live with my husband. They have seven of a family, but we're on our own. We're great grandparents at the minute. And some of the family live near us, but we live on our own. And uh, he's a great interest in the horses. And we love um, horse racing. He used to go to Cheltenham and go to the horse racing with a friend of his. And there's no horse racing now at the minute. That's on television and all the rest, but there's no participation. So he misses that as well. He he just misses the crack of the the horse racing and he talks to the, some of the lads on the phone and they um, suggest bets and that type of thing. But it's not the same thing. He misses it as well. He doesn't play bridge, but he does play. He used to play poker once a month with a couple of the lads as well, and that's that's gone by the board as well. It's just a different life, and um, the, the frightening thing is, is it's just become the new
0: norm. What is moving will be still. What is gathered will disperse. What's been built up will collapse. All of your dreams, they're all fulfilled. Program one, it's kind of vignettes of daily life of ordinary people who were cocooning during COVID. Um, there is a sense of time passing but I, I do think that's how they all coped with cocooning they had the day planned out and they fill the day with meaningful interesting things um, and they just take us along for the experience of the day with them mm. this program is very reflective you realize cocooning and lockdown it brought up a lot of things and it is actually it has such parallels with other parts of life and um, isolation and loneliness or just dreaming about things and longing for something in the future and looking forward to something and not knowing when it's going to happen. Denise is talking about you know going on holidays and wanting looking forward to that and it reminded her then of beautiful memories in the past and um, I think it also brings up a lot of questions of them um, identity and who you are because when you're out in the world the people you interact with and the roles you take on or if you volunteer, if you work somewhere, that's kind of who you are and during lockdown and cocooning that was all taken away so people thought about who they are and what's important to them and where their identity sits and this program really looks into all of that
3: I spent Two years in a sanatorium with TB when I was 16, in the late 60s. The similarities were creepy. It really was creepy. I was only 16, and I was in one full year on strict bed in the hospital in Killybegs, sanatorium in Killebegs, in Donegal. And um, it's big, big ward, and each of the ward was sectioned off into cubicles of three, and there was a cubicle. Three of us in a cubicle. I happened to be on the outside cubicle. The lady on the inside, her husband was a station master in Killie Beggs and she had small children. And they used to come out to the the courtyard of the hospital, and she used to look out the window and cry, looking out the window at them. And uh, I was supposed to be on strict bed and. Uh, Several times I went, got up and got up and went over to the window to look out at her children and talk to the children and uh, I was because I was on the outside bed. I was near the the corridor of the hospital as well, the main hospital, and I was able to look around and see what was going on and anyway, I wasn't keeping strictly to a strict bed as it was. so the, the doctor came down. Dr Clark was his name, he was a next army, he was in the army. And he used to wear these big uh, yellow uh, army boots. And uh, one occasion he came down the corridor, you could, down the hospital ward, you could hear him thumping along, and he came in and he leant on the, the tray in front of my bed and said, if you get out of that bed again, he said, you're supposed to be in strict bed, if you get out again, you'll blow up. And he thumped the tray and he said, you'll blow up. You stay in bed when you're supposed to stay in bed. So that put manners on me.
2: We call ourselves Darby and Joan and the folks who live on the hill. But um, that's just, just the way it is. It's not that we have nothing to talk about. It's just that we have nothing new to talk about. If we get a talk to one of the children and we can pass it over and back, we roll over with uh, our daughter over in Now this uh, this morning, just read, had a message to bring over to her. And uh, she was working from home, so we couldn't stay too long. So... We just drove over to Swords and back, and then I went out for, for my game of cards this afternoon. And when I was out, he was cutting the grass, and when I came back, he was sitting down. And then we watched it, made something to eat, and tidied up, and rang my friend whose husband was not well. And after that, I changed my shoes and I went for my big long walk down to listen to the estuary and listen to the birds. And I don't know, that's just the norm. Just having no uh, social interaction, that the first thing, it reminded me of being back in the sanatorium when I was 16. Cut off from, uh, there was no mobile phones and there was no nothing and I was on strict bed and I was, well I, won't, I wouldn't say I was depressed but I was, it was a completely different, different life. And it reminded me, suddenly it just struck me, jeez, it just reminds me of, uh, there's nothing to do and nowhere to go and, there was this mobile big van used to go around, like the breast check that's going around, that would around a while back. And uh, this mobile van was going around, and we just went in for the, just to have a x ray just for the crack. And next thing, um, the doctor came, came and knocked him, came and just, the minute I saw him walking in, I knew that it was me, and, and as I say, my parents were shocked as well. and... Then I was sent for a deep x ray and discovered I had TB and one of my lungs. I was lucky because a lot not awful lot of people had um, lungs removed. I was lucky at the time because they just started uh, the it was called it was a um antibody and I was young, mm. so i had the i was caught in time i caught before any symptoms of cough or coughing of blood or what which was one of the symptoms I was only uh, I think two, two months um, on, on the flat of my back and not being able to move at all. I was in a, a little ward, was was set off with with the, the a uh, curtains at the side, and they pull the curtains around and give you the uh, wash top and tail, and give you the sponge and let you wash your, your private part yourself, and then they come back and dried you off, and that was it. And uh, if you wanted to go to the toilet, they brought you a bedpan. You didn't even have a commode. You could get out of the bed to sit on the commode for two whole years today.
1: I celebrated my 90th birthday last summer and I'm still single. Unclaimed treasure, as one of my friends you say when people asked her was she married. However, it seems to me that single people have more friends than married ones, as these are busy re- rearing their children until these leave the nest. There is a great difference between living alone and being lonely. And fortunately, with my social life on the phone, and with all my friends outside as well. I cannot say that I have ever been lonely, and this stands to me, I think, in the cocoonment Having so many friends, I got umpteen letters, phone calls and four of those lovely free cards issued by the post office. A brilliant idea
3: on their part. After the year was up, I was allowed out to walk. We went down to, a couple of us used to go down to the boatyard. And chat to the fellows down at the boatyard, and uh, got to know them very well. And uh, used to put, tease us, telling us that the dances they'd been to and all the rest of we hadn't been. And um, then uh, another place we used to go to was up to St Catherine's Well. It was a holy well up outside the village. We uh, we used to stay there and say a prayer to St Catherine, and bring ho- some holy water back to the other patients in the hospital. And gradually I got back into the swing of things in the hospital I began going around helping out and um, I um, got to know Dr. Clark very well. He was a lovely lovely man, lovely man, but apparently he was in the he told us he was in the, the British Army with uh, Agatha Christie's husband and he was flabbergasted when I asked him what happened Agatha Christie even though I might remember she is, she disappeared. I think it was for 13 months. And um, then she appeared again, and they thought it was a pre- it was, she was she was planning a, a mystery novel or something. But um, I was asking Doctor Clark, and uh, he, he said he didn't know anything about it. But I don't know whether he did or not. But uh, he was a, turned out to be a lovely man, very strict. There was no messing about. If you were allowed out, you are allowed out, and if you were out for an hour, you are out for an hour, and that was it. And also, in that that time, uh, the woman next door. Uh, Beside the window, who had the children coming in to visit her, her husband, he was the master in Killebex, and he brought Brendan Bean in to see his wife. And he was a lovely man, and just all chat. And I asked him for his autograph. He asked me my name, and then he gave me the autograph, and when I looked at it, I was flabbergasted. I was, I was not upset, but I wasn't pleased. He wrote on the autograph, Mary Freel so plump and pretty, I'd take you back to Dublin City if I was a little bit younger. I didn't like, he didn't get my name right. I didn't like the plump bit, but apparently if I was on strict bed for a year, for the best part of a year, I was uh, plumpish. But the pretty bit was all right. But I still have that autograph by Brendan Behan, calling me plump and pretty.
4: As a young girl, I au in a chateau in Brittany. And um, my son um, was invited to lecture over in Rennes University. And we were going to tie in with a trip up to Brittany, um, to the area where I'd owed paired. It was a very special time for me as a 17-year-old, and I did a little writing about this. And the name of this is Reliving France During Covid Times. I sit on the rocks in Dorky and watch and hear the white horses bound towards land. My memories float back to a similar experience I had over 50 years ago sitting on the granite rose rocks surrounding the lighthouse on the île de Brea. On each occasion the sun streaming gold threads across the water connecting the island with the mainland. Next Friday I was to meet my son David arriving from Scotland picking up a car. We were both to drive into the sunset to Brittany. There I au as a 17 year old in Chateau de Val in Brittany and also with the same family in Nil de Brea, just off the coast at Pampol. David, my son, spent a year teaching in a school close to the chateau. We had planned a trip down memory lane, again enjoying the delights of Brittany, its little villages, its beautiful coastal areas, where no doubt we swim despite the cold, and barbecue whatever the weather. The end of our road was to be Brea, the island with no cars, where I found solitude, enjoying the sound of nature, the birds, but its sea had always touched my soul. With its changing mood, its calmness and its strength, no traffic, no humans, just the sound of the sea bounding and rolling towards land. How wonderful to have these memories awakened, knowing that I can continue to enjoy them with the knowledge I have this trip to look forward to.
1: I read the Lives Lost column every Saturday in the Irish Times. One is struck by how many of the older people came from very large families. Of course, this was in the days of non-availability of contraceptives. The then rector of the Church of Ireland in Westport at the funeral of a very dear friend, said that he had never buried an ordinary person. This is amply borne out, reading this weekly page. A very dear friend of mine died last April, not of the virus, so, at least her family could be with her when it happened. I shall miss her so much. Another who died was Rudolf Hetzel, a silversmith who exhibited in the Kilkenny Design Center. I worked for a year in the men's prison in Mountjoy. The first woman to do so as the then secretary of the department told me, and on leaving the prison, when my year was up, the prison officers, marvellous dedicated people doing a very difficult job gave me a pendant by him which I still treasure. I never kissed so many men that day and never got so many wolf whistles from the inmates on my first day at work. I wore a trouser suit and because of this some of the men who came to see me complained that they couldn't see
2: my legs. When I got up, I used to help help on the ward, write letters for those who didn't want to write, and I helped with bring them to the toilet. I ended up helping around the ward, and I, I got a recommendation making hands and recommended me to come up to Piedmont to do my TA. So that's why I came up to Piedmont and started nursing. Because once I had the TB, I couldn't get it again. That meant I could work with people with TB. My husband, he was a, um, well, he wasn't my patient, but I met him in, in Piedmont. He had TB as well it was a great romance so when he got when he got out he was discharged and he rang me up and he started coming up and we started going out and about and we used to go to the national ballroom and go to clearies and go to we, did, we loved the dress dancers in clearies so um, we ended up had a lovely life and seven children and five grandchildren and two great three great grandchildren
3: It wasn't until uh, a couple of days ago that I was able to voice what this lockdown meant to me. I went over to uh, Donna Bate, over to Newbridge House to meet my granddaughter and her new baby, my great-granddaughter. And uh, between the hopping and the trotting and the kissing and the hugging and getting together and all the rest, it was absolutely gorgeous. It was lovely. But it wasn't until my granddaughter just asked me... um, how the lockdown was affecting me and all the rest that had came to me, and uh, it was wonderful to talk to her because had been gone over and over in my head the similarity between this and when I was 16, and uh, the fact that uh, there was a terrible, terrible social stigma against TB. They, I remember my mother and father having an argument, an actor, in fact, nearly. A fight, a, a strong argument over which side of the family I got TB from, and um, when I came home from the sanatorium, you could see people sort of sidestepping out of the way, you know, keeping away, and it must have been very, very hard on my poor mother because um, it was a, they, they used to shun the the relatives of the person with TB. wee bit like what it is at the minute people say stepping out on the side of the street when they see you coming the comparison between tuberculosis my my tuberculosis and the COVID at the minute the comparison is is, is similar there's no uh, nothing to do I think I was joking I talked to my friends on the phone quite a bit but I was just saying that I, I think I tidied the hot press about four times. There's no bridge, there's no ladies' club, there's no film club. And as I say, to get out and meet my great-granddaughter was, a, was the excitement of the, the last couple of weeks. And it's... Um, it's uh, I don't think the world will ever be the same again. What was the point...
1: In wearing decent clothes when one never met anyone. So, jogging outfits were the hoot couture wear of my day. I was fortunate that I live opposite a secondary school with very extensive grounds where I could walk in total isolation. We were so fortunate as well in the lovely sunny weather, and I could also sit out on the balcony and have my meals there. I also read a lot of poetry, and I am very fortunate to have so many poet friends. To me, poetry is marvellous because it expresses in a few lines something that would take much longer in prose. We also had a birth in the complex during this time. The midwife delivered the baby in the apartment, much to the delight of the couple. A second daughter, Elizabeth, whom they call Lizzie. A joyful occasion indeed.
4: During these COVID times, I celebrated my 70th birthday and there were many, many plans for that time. Starting off with a very special trip to France, but the world has changed. Covid has overtaken our plans and priorities now focus on wellness for all. I am enjoying the anticipation I had for this trip. Today, Monday the 6th of April was to start with a flight to Paris where Fergus, my partner and I would meet my sister Paula. Some highlights planned were strolls on the Champs-Élysées, Montmartre and the Luxembourg gardens starting each day with coffee and croissant and stopping off for coffee as the mood takes us, plans made for a visit to the Orangerie and nighttime plans for a stroll along the Seine after dinner in Pape Jazz. This brings my mind back to an evening enjoyed in the River Restaurant in Brooklyn with this wonderful jazz player. How wonderful to have these memories awoken today with the knowledge that the trip which was planned will happen at some later stage.
1: I miss now that it is over, hopefully forever, the wonderful bird song which, alas, is drowned out again by the sound of ever-increasing traffic. A resident on the ground floor used to leave her patio door open. And birds used to fly into her kitchen and then away. That doesn't happen anymore. I also miss shopping being delivered to my hall door by my friends and family. And now, alas... I have to hump it up myself from the supermarkets. But these are small worries indeed.
0: What is moving will be still What is gathered will disperse What's been built up
1: will collapse all of your dreams they're all fulfilled I have survived the cocoonment I started as a decrepit old woman and now I'm an even more decrepit old woman not having to be able to to exercise as much as I was normally used to or things like that, but as a poor friend Jim Japson said, since God has given us old age, let us enjoy it. And I hope to do that for a while yet
0: this is Eva McKiernan signing off on our series six diaries of separation this is available on the Ocean FM website and on SoundCloud if you would like to share or listen back to it Finally, I would like to extend a sincere thank you to the six contributors for their generosity and honesty in sharing their experiences with us. Thank you.